How's everybody doing? Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Doing okay? Yeah. Ready for Christmas? How many people did I just send like into another space thinking about decorating or something else? Um, we're, we're trying to get there at our house, so it's, it's still a work in progress, but it does feel like Christmas now that December has arrived and we're celebrating Advent and kind of allowing myself to, I mean, it's been out for months now, right? I mean, since what, September stores have probably been putting stuff out, but I refuse to acknowledge any of that until December comes around. So Advent starts it off for me. So I'm now getting into the Christmas spirit and hopefully you are too. As we said earlier, we're going to talk about hope today. Uh, I don't have a clicker, so if you would advance, oh, there we go. Um, forgot about that. Hadn't done this in a while. It's been since September when we first started celebrating Christmas that I preached last. Um, so I'm a little out of practice. Uh, but uh, we are uh, backwards, backwards, backwards. There we go. So we're talking about <laughs> the arrival of hope in Jesus and then the hope of arrival that we have in Jesus. So Christmas brings with it, uh, you know, one thing, and then we kind of live in, in light of that. So uh, my text for today, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, but uh, if not, um, uh, you can just listen. We're going to break this down a little bit later, and it'll be on the screen, but this part is not. So just listen. Uh, it comes from Luke chapter 21. We'll start in verse 25. It says, and when... And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things, when these things begin to to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And this is Jesus talking. And he told them in a uh, parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray real quick. Holy Spirit, um, we ask that you uh, communicate with us in this time. My words are meaningless and empty, uh, but your words are powerful and your words speak directly to uh, our heart of hearts. And so would you connect us to your truth today? Uh, that we read in scripture 
and that you speak to us uh, on your own in this moment. And may it move us to some sort of action that honors and glorifies you. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, uh, the slide, give it away, uh, but you may still not know what we're talking about. But um, did you see in the news this week or watch on social media this guy that went hang gliding in Switzerland? It's a guy from Florida. His name is uh, Chris Gursky. And on the first day of his vacation in Switzerland, he decides to do kind of a touristy thing there, I'm assuming. Uh, popular thing to, to take a hang glider. Uh, you get, you know, have a pilot, somebody who knows what they're doing, and they, uh, they take you up over the Swiss Alps, and it's just, you know, beautiful scenery. They, I'm not sure how long the, the flight's supposed to last, but they got a GoPro video going, and you can take that home with you or post it on social media so that all your friends see what kind of cool vacation you're having, right? So the problem for Mr. Gursky, though, was that he wasn't the only one on vacation. Uh, his pilot kind of took the day off in, in a way and forgot to attach his harness to keep him safely on the hang glider. There's a video that goes with it. I'm not going to show you the video because it flat out is just too stressful. And you don't need more stress in your life, most of you. Okay, but if you really want that, and you want to go watch it later, you can. And it won't take long to find it. All you, right now, you just Google hang glider and you'll, it'll be the first thing that comes up, I think. But in this video, you see these two guys, uh, the pilot and uh, Mr. Gursky, um, about to, to take off on a hill or a mountain or something. And they're, they're getting a running start and they, they're counting down, five, four, three, two, one, they, and they take off. And then all of a sudden, he realizes what just happened. And that is this picture. And so this guy, Chris Gursky, is now hang gliding above the Swiss Alps with a pilot who forgot to strap him in. And he is clinging for his life. And in the video, he, he at one point releases his left arm, left hand, from the hang glider bar there that you're supposed to hold on to like effortlessly, like up where the pilot is, um, he releases and he's just grabbing the pilot and they go like way off course and everything. And, and he, so now he's just grabbing for anything. And I mean, he's got a death grip on that bar, I guarantee you. And then he's grabbing his pants, which I don't know how that works, but uh, I mean, there's just gotta be something to hold on to. Um, I guess he couldn't get the other part of the bar. But he is up there for like uh, two minutes and 14 seconds, I think, is what they said. 4,000 feet in the air on a hang glider that you're not strapped into and that you've never done hang gliding before. This guy has got to be terrified. All he is thinking about is, am I ever going to get back safely on the ground? Or am I going to lose my grip and fall to my death? Somewhere along, the, uh, uh, along the, the, the way, he tears his bicep from holding on so tightly. 
The pilot finally gets things under control, finds a spot to land uh, fairly safely, some, uh, some heavy grass it looked like. And, uh, but, but he's hanging lower than he's supposed to be. You know, there, there are the wheels and there's Chris Gursky. So he's got to let go before the thing can land. So he, he lets go when they get close enough. He ends up fracturing his wrist is all that happens to him miraculously. And then the pilot lands safely. So there's several takeaways from this story, right? Um, several things we could make application to here. One is that Chris and Gail Gursky probably have a pretty fat Swiss bank account about now, right? Or maybe even a, a majority shareholder of a, of a small hang gliding company in Switzerland. Um, but the other thing I want us to think about today uh, is that just like this guy had to stay completely focused on hanging on for his life, for what I'm sure seemed like an eternity, I mean, two and a half minutes, when, uh, two, two minutes and 14 seconds is a long time uh, in that situation for sure. I want us to see that, that just like that, just like that, that focus, that grip, that intentionality to, uh, to save his life, that we need to be people that hold on so tightly to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that no matter how bad or even how good our circumstances are, that we can be so intently focused on his second advent, his second arrival, his second coming, that it radically alters the way that we live today. The birth of Jesus that we're celebrating at Christmas time is the arrival of hope for the world. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it was celebrated by the angels. Uh, when, when Jesus took on the flesh of that baby and, and was born a vir- from a virgin in, in that humble manger and all of history changed, that long prophesied event, that much anticipated Messiah had actually entered the human experience and he did it to bring its eternal salvation. All the teaching and the prophecy of Jesus and about Jesus gives us the hope of his second arrival on planet Earth. The first arrival really points us immediately that the story just picks up and continues and and points us toward the second coming of Jesus. And we live in that era. This is is that in-between time of first coming and second coming, that we get to participate in, we get to live in. And so these words that we're going to hear from Luke uh, and break down from Luke that we've heard are, are, are for us. We live in this era of history in which hope is meant to sustain us and to give us power until he comes again. And this time he's coming to judge, this time he's coming to redeem, this time he's coming to remake all things for his eternal reign as king, and we know for our eternal reign as sons and daughters of the Most High. Luke uh, is the kind of the place that we go to for the Christmas story, right? Uh, it gives us a really good picture of uh, the, the Christmas story. But Luke's story throughout gives us a glimpse into our future as God's people. So as we pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 21, uh, that was... Not, that was a story that 
went away. Just ignore it. Okay. Um, but as we pick up in verse 25 here, uh, Jesus is, is in the midst of what is referred to as the Olivet Discourse. It's his final teaching on this earth. Right after this teaching is when everything starts to go south. Uh, he, he's arrested and, and taken uh, to the cross. So this is his, his final teaching uh, to his disciples. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Matthew and Mark uh, kind of give it uh, the setting of being done on the Mount of Olives. Luke actually has the setting in the temple in Jerusalem and then has Jesus going up to the Mount of Olives in the evening to, to sleep, uh, to get away. It's probably both, uh, either or, uh, a combination of the two, uh, a, a series of teachings, maybe not all happening on the, the same day. Uh, but it's basically the same teaching in, in each of those gospel accounts. And he's, he's delivering this message to his followers, uh, and he's using, like, first of all, if you, if you look at the start of the chapter, there's, there's the story about the, the poor widow uh, and her uh, offering and how she didn't have much to give, but she gave more than, than everyone uh, out of her uh, generosity. So he's using things that, that are going on in the temple to teach his disciples, as Jesus usually does. And then one of them says something about like how awesome the temple is. Like, look at this place. This is incredible. The reason they would say it's incredible is because about 20 years before Jesus was born, Herod the Great had started a kind of a massive rebuilding or renovation of the temple. Uh, this is the second temple. The first one had been destroyed. Uh, they're rebuilding the second one. And they're, now they're making it even bigger because Herod uh, really wants it to be known as his temple, not, uh, not the temple of David. And uh, So uh, it's bigger, it's better, it's awesome. So they're about 50 years into this renovation. It's actually going to go on for another 30 years after Jesus is talking here. But it's already at this time becoming known around the, the, the Roman world uh, as, as just something that's incredible, that's, that's awesome, that uh, really standing there in it, no one could easily imagine that it would ever uh, go away, that it, it, it seems like this is something that will last forever. Uh, this is an amazing feat of man. And so it's kind of with that backdrop that, that Jesus is, is teaching and talking and uh, in, in Luke 25, when he says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming to the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. And raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He has just told them that that temple that they're standing in, that they think is so amazing and so eternal, is going to crumble in their lifetime. And in fact, it did. In about A.D. 70, when Jerusalem was overtaken 
and the temple was destroyed. And Jesus describes this, this event prophetically in this moment. And he's telling them to, to get out of the city. He's telling them how bad it's going to be when this happens. And it was bad. And if you go read uh, historical accounts, Josephus and others, uh, about what happened, it's awful. And so Jesus was warning them and, and giving them this prophecy that this, these things are going to happen and, and you need to get out when it does. And now he shifts to kind of a different time that something else is going to happen bad. And it's about the whole world. It's about the, the cosmic order of things breaking down and causing massive calamity on the earth. And he's giving them this prophecy about that. And he tells them to straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Much of the Bible is prophecy. And about a third of the prophecy of the New Testament has yet to be fulfilled. If you, if you read uh, the, the Bible itself, and especially the New Testament, the second coming is a major theme, something that's talked about a lot. In fact, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talks about the second coming of Jesus. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. The second coming of Jesus is mentioned 300 times. You know, we talk about a lot about the prophecy of Jesus' birth in the Old Testament and how, you know, the wise men understood some of that and were able to to see it and other people could see, you know, Jesus' birth coming because of the prophecy. But if you take every one of those instances where the Bible talks about the prophecy of Jesus' first arrival, there are eight prophecies about his second arrival. So this is a big deal. And every time he talks about it, he, he, he talks in terms of uh, getting ready, being prepared. Watch out, straighten up, raise your heads. And in, in here he's telling us that natural disasters are going to happen at such a rate in the world that everybody's going to basically be in panic. And when, when uh, Hurricane Harvey or any major thing like that, um, but, but certainly Hurricane Harvey hit close to home and we were able to, to see that up close in some ways that maybe none of us ever have, um, but when things like that happen, and you think about the, the millions and billions of dollars that are spent to, uh, to, to restore order, to rebuild, uh, the, the, the amount of effort and time and money, resource that goes into getting things back to normal. I mean, there's people that, that still aren't and will never be back to normal because of that hurricane. If you think about that happening several times, I mean, how close, this is what I, what I often wonder when, when those things happen, how close are we to like complete financial ruin? I mean, how much can our country hold up to many of those happening in the same year, around the same time? It, I think it's pretty fragile. I think you throw in a few of those and, and we're, we're in some trouble. Think about if the, 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 the cosmos, the, the, the weather, 
the order of things is completely shattered. And, and these kind of things are happening all over the world. Uh, Alaska, 7.0 earthquake. Um, that's, say that happens in 20 other places over the world at the same time. And, and, and a few more the, the next day and a few more the next day. And there's a hurricane and a tsunami and there's a tornado and, and just everywhere this is happening. We're talking, literally, I mean, we're talking about apocalypse. Crazy stuff happening. People freaking out. I mean, there may not be zombies walking around the earth, but we're going to be freaking out if we're here for that. Governments, nations will collapse. And the ones that haven't will be on the verge of it. It's going to be crazy. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You say, well, wow, that's great. Um, where's the hope, Scott? I'm talking about hope today. Kind of like to hear some hope. Need some hope in my life. Doesn't sound like hope at all. Um, well, he says, because your redemption, not your destruction, is drawing near. Hold fast to that. Your redemption is drawing near when you see these things happening, not your destruction. Tuck that away for that time or for just bad times. The Lord will redeem. The cosmos may seem out of order in your life right now. <clears throat> Jesus promises that your redemption is drawing near. All right, as we move on, uh, verse 29, he says he, uh, 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 he wants to, to tell them this parable. Uh, fig trees are common things, um, so he uses that. Uh, tells them to, to see uh, this is spring when he's talking, by the way. And uh, so the fig trees are starting to, to kind of sprout out. Um, and all the trees, which some people say that's a reference to fig trees being Israel, all the trees is everybody else, the Gentiles. Um, as soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So you, we, we don't have to like, we, we just know. We, things start blooming, spring is here, summer's here. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So there's been a lot of debate and speculation about what this generation is. Um, it, it can be used as a, a group of people, uh, and, and it can be used uh, as uh, it seems to be here uh, that Jesus is, is speaking of the people that see this stuff, not the, the people who saw the destruction of the temple. Clearly two different things he's talking about. That if you are around for this stuff, that generation is going to see Jesus' uh, second coming. So that means it's, it's going to happen pretty quick. Like there's going to be bad stuff happening, but you know that soon Jesus will arrive. Hold to that truth that Jesus is, is coming. You, he wants you to, to hear that. And he says that heaven and earth may pass away, but my words 
are never going to pass away. Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. No matter how bad the storm is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here. If your trust is in all that stuff, all that working and order and uh, the way that we understand life is supposed to be, if your trust is in all that, it's going to go away. But if your trust is in me and my word, my truth, that's never going to go away. There's a lot of people that have thought Jesus was just going to, you know, be a fad, a, a thing that, that faded away, that his church, that his followers were not going to last. Um, this was a popular thing to talk about during the Enlightenment. And Voltaire, who was a, a, a very popular philosopher during the Enlightenment, was kind of famous for saying a lot of things. He was an agnostic and uh, saying things uh, about how he, he didn't believe that, that anybody would even real, remember who Jesus was in 100 years. That they wouldn't even know if you talked about Jesus, who that was. Ironically, when he was saying that stuff, in London, his writings were going for about 10 cents uh, while the British Museum was willing to pay a half a million dollars for an ancient manuscript of the Bible. Uh, and after he died, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and used his printing presses to begin to print thousands of Bibles every day that included Luke's words that Jesus would not pass away, his word would not pass away. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so uh, I think that the, the message out of, of that part of things is very clear to us but it's sometimes it's just so simple and something that we ignore because the the voices of our life of our world are so loud but please don't forget that none of that stuff no matter what's coming against you is as powerful as the word of god it will stand the test of time all right let's move on to uh Verse uh, 34, where he says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. He's describing the second coming watch yourselves this is not treat yourself okay this is watch yourself jesus is giving us a warning and a command to watch ourselves what does that mean to examine our lives to make sure that the way that we're living is lining up with the reality of, of, of the truth of scripture of, of what the lord is doing and he's giving us these signs he's giving us these things that should trigger that should point us back to him this is an active intentional effort to live with an eye and a heart toward the return of jesus it's focused on the second coming that again i you know 
as much as the Bible talks about the second coming of Jesus and, and as he relates that to uh, being watchful, so something very important to our Lord that we keep an eye on that. So it's not just about like uh, holding fast to Jesus because that can just kind of get real general and, and vague sometimes. He wants us to really have our eye and our heart set on the fact that he's coming again. That, that specific moment in time. And remember who he's writing to here. He's warning Christians. He's warning us. Uh, you would think, like, these are the people that love Jesus, right? We're following him. We, we don't want to miss this. But he's, he's saying it's not going to be easy. And that you might, you might miss it. Uh, if you don't, watch yourself. If you don't. Get intentional about this uh, because it's too easy to get weighed down by the stuff of life. And that's what he means when he says dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. The excess, dissipation, um, the escape that we find in the, the drunkenness, whether it's alcohol or something else that we just kind of lose ourselves in, that we go to, to numb the pain or to make things just kind of go away or, or the distractions of our life or just the stuff that we have to do in life. All that, all that is going to keep us uh, focused on the wrong thing. He says, stay awake. Pray for strength. You're going to need it. Pray for strength. Don't let it come like a trap. Don't let it come like a thief in the night. Don't let it come where it surprises you and you're like, oh, why was I living this way? Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I all out uh, for the Lord, because I knew this was coming. I knew this was the era that I lived in. Jesus is telling us these things over and over again. Uh, since I started preparing for this sermon, uh, a song just uh, was, was playing over and over in my head from my youth ministry days. Uh, some of you may not even remember it, but uh, it's an old song by Larry Norman, but DC Talk, anybody know who DC Talk? Um, they redid it. Uh, and uh, it's a song called Wish We'd All Been Ready. I started joking with Josh about like playing it for us um, and like while, kind of interrupting me while I'm uh, preaching and it's a kind of a ballad. And, um, but it, it's, uh, it's talking about the end times and how uh, things are going to be happening and I wish we'd been ready for that. Um, so as Thursday I was joking with Josh about this and then randomly... Um, I run into Toby Mack uh, at Nathan's basketball game. So just the, I don't know. Um, but I just had to share that because it was weird. Um, I asked him to come sing for us and he said he was busy. But anyway. So what's our call to action? What are we supposed to do? Um, we're people of hope. The Christian story, the Christmas story, reminds us that Jesus has brought that hope to the world, right? And his, and his followers, who most of us in this room claim to be, are, are living in light of that hope. We're living in the blessing of that hope. We're living in the, the fruit of that hope. But we need to live with our eye on his second coming. It's not the same kind of hope that the guy on the hang glider had though that's the hope of the world that's the hope so 
I really, really hope this is going to happen. I really, really hope I'm going to be able to tell this story, that I'm going to land safely somehow. Uh, but, I mean, he fully expected that he, he could fall at any minute. I and mean, he said it, he was just about to lose it before they started to get close. How much he, he could have, how much longer he could have held on, I don't know. Um, but, um, but we are like that sometimes, and the world is, is like that because we don't know. We don't know what's next. We just hope for something. But our hope is a sure thing. We know what's coming. We know the end of the story. We know the, the signs that we've been given. And so it's, it's more like the kid uh, at Christmas who's counting down the days until December 25th. He knows Christmas is coming. You can't wait for it. He's, he's, he's hoping in anticipation of that day. Uh, Jacob started doing this uh, with the aid of Siri uh, in November because it was too hard to, to do the math. And, and so uh, Siri was doing it for him, tell, telling him how many days were left until Christmas. He didn't have to do that anymore because we're in December now. Um, but we, we need to be like that. We're just, we know it's coming. But we can't wait. We want it. If we start with that kind of hope in his second coming, then what should take place is it should radically affect everything that we're doing, everything that we think and, and how we act and how we talk. Hope in Jesus' second coming should make a radical difference in our lives. It should change our outlook on life. It should lead us toward holiness. And it should motivate us to share our hope. If it's not doing these things, it's very likely that our dissipation, our drunkenness, or the cares of this world have numbed us or distracted us from what's most important. And Jesus has already warned us about this, that we have to be careful because we're going to get caught up in the way of our culture. We're going to bury our heads in our phones and concern ourselves with what we're going to post or with what somebody else is posting. We're going to buy more stuff. And we're going to have to figure out how to pay for that stuff. And we're going to have to figure out how to fix that stuff and take care of it. Or we're going to indulge ourselves in drinking more than we should. Note for Christmas parties. Or binge watching shows on Netflix that not that long ago would have been considered pornography. Or we're going to play Fortnite every chance we get. I didn't look toward this side of the room very much. <laughs> or we're going to scroll through Pinterest. Or we're going to obsess over our 401k. Or we're going to try to keep up with the latest fashion trends or food trends or whatever else the world is wanting to offer us. Or maybe we're just going to get so concerned with good things in this world, in our life, that we just miss the point. How should it change my outlook on life? Well, you probably, if you're a hope person because that's what you are in, in Christ, you probably shouldn't be so negative or pessimistic all the time. You, 
probably should be able to see more of the goodness, more of the grace, more of the mercy of God in the midst of your circumstances or in the circumstances of the world or in the people that you come into contact with. Have you kind of been a Grinch lately? I mean, are you, are you that person that seems to have really lost a sense of hope and, and operated out of more of a, a negative spirit in the world? Uh, maybe in your home, maybe in your marriage, maybe in church. Uh, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, Jesus says, watch yourself. Examine. Take a look at that stuff. Serious. Repent. Tell your friends that you're sorry for being that guy. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your calm group. Can we let this Advent season inspire us to be people of hope? Every time we see that candle lit, could, we, could something click in our brains and remind us, I'm a person of hope. I just need to live like it. I need to speak like it. How should it lead me toward holiness? Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Right perspective on life is going to bring right actions. We know how the story ends. We don't lose. We spend eternity with God. Have we gotten a little bit too comfortable, though, with our sin or with sin around us? Are we abusing our freedoms? Do we often think about how okay it is for us to indulge ourselves a little bit? And is there any real difference in how we're living in this world? Watch yourself. Repent. Take some time to really step back and examine how you've been living in this area of holiness. Ask for some feedback. Get serious about this. Be proactive. Start living like a person whose hope is in something and someone much greater than anything else this world has to offer. How should it motivate me to share my hope? Well, I ought to be sensitive to hopelessness everywhere I go as a person of hope, as I carry the, the, the spirit of Jesus in me. And I ought to be eager to bring that hope to those situations or to those people. If we're serious as a church about being missional, then we have to be grounded. Anything that we're going to do, any effort that we're going to put forth in, in that way, has to be grounded in this moment in time when Jesus comes again. He's coming to rescue the world, yes, but he's also coming back to judge the world. And the days, he says, leading up to that are going to be filled with great tribulation. The point is not that we should be scared about that or scaring people into heaven. Now that, that was a strategy for a while. But Shouldn't we at least be a little scared for those people who don't have the hope of Christ? Shouldn't I desire that everyone around me experience that same hope? 
Do we care? I think we do, but are we too distracted to really care? Is there too much dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, of our life, to really care about the salvation and the eternity of others around us? That's what it means to be missional, first and foremost. Watch yourself. Repent. You're going to be presented with all kind of opportunities this week to share the hope of Christ. Do it. Take up the, the call. Be the ambassador for Christ, the ambassador of hope that he wants you to be. Paul's words to the Colossians are, are words for us today. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray.